Welcome to the Canny Conversations podcast, Conversations with a Cause, with social entrepreneur Safraz Ali. Saf came relatively late to entrepreneurship after working in both the public and private sectors. He coined a phrase that describes what he does as the mad entrepreneur that's make a difference entrepreneurship. As well as being the author of the Canny Bites books, Saf's business interests cover health and social care, business and corporate events, as well as him being the CEO of Pathway Group a welfare-to-work and skills provider. In these podcasts, he shares his thoughts with journalist Adrian Kibler. So, let's join the conversation. Welcome to Canny Conversations with Safraz Ali. My name's Adrian Kibler. This podcast aims to bring you a canny conversation with a cause. Conversations that we hope will captivate your curiosity cannily. And what I want to talk about, or what we, we're going to have a chat about today, is getting the best out of people. And I want to talk a bit about numbers as well. So I want, first of all, Saf, to tell me how you go about motivating people and how you go about agreeing with them, you know, key performance indicators, targets, that kind of thing. Yeah, of course. I mean, it's a, it's a topic that's quite close to my heart. Uh, the first thing that I will, I will say is motivation often is short term. And, you know, in terms of long term planning and long term sustainability, it's about dedication and having drivers that individual uh, will will look to follow and pursue. So motivation isn't the same as dedication. Motivation is tends to be short term. Uh, what we tend to focus on is inspiring and getting the best out of people and being in a position where getting them more aware of of the opportunities, you know, understanding the vision of the organization and then really setting goals, objectives and being able to work towards those goals and, and being able to set goals and, and, and attain goals. Um, I just want to explore how you... Um how you define goals because I guess they're at two levels aren't they there's the individual goal just for the sake of argument a salesperson you know to generate x amount of sales in a set period of time but I also want to talk about something which in one of your books you refer to as I think it's the great big hairy goal or objective which is sort of much bigger just talk me through what a great hairy objective yeah, so th- that's obviously a concept which uh, which is quite familiar with regard to setting higher level goals and setting maybe unattainable goals but failing well. So having a uh, a big target, having a um, sort of aspirational target rather than maybe, you know, we talk about smart targets, so specific, measurable, achievable, realistic and time-bound but it's not. It's about getting rid of the the achievable and the realistic, and and having something which is specific, measurable, and time bound. But maybe you may perceive that it's un, uh, it's not achievable or it's not realistic, but something that's hairy and audacious, big, yeah, bigger as aspirational, and then working towards that and, and and stretching yourself, having stretching and challenging targets. Uh, I think that's that's where where the thinking is. From my perspective, a lot of that will revolve around having performance development plans, having objectives that the business is working towards and really planning the year out, but into chunks. So we work on 90-day goals, 
And then what we do is we have pledges as well. So pledges are sort of promises that, you know, at the very least we're going to achieve this, 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 and this is how we're going to be doing it. And and we reiterate that in terms of our team meetings and we follow that up. So we get the individual to pledge that they will achieve and then they work towards that. And that then becomes peer sort of support, some element of peer coaching, um, some positive peer pressure as well and working towards that individual achieving their, their goals. I mean, as far as the big goals are concerned, I mean, I suppose the biggest one I can instantly think of, this this one from the past, was when John Kennedy said, um, in with in the end of this decade, we're going to put a man on the moon and return him safely to Earth, which at the time, you know, a lot of people thought was pie in the sky. More recently, I suppose, if you'd have said to most experts 12 months ago that within less than a year there'd be a a viable, effective and safe vaccine developed for COVID, they'd have said, well, come on, you know, you're not, you're not being sensible. Is that the real purpose of these big goals, that they, 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 they provide a, a vision and something to work for? And isn't the, the, the lesson from the two examples I gave that, you know, you can be surprised what you might achieve if you really aim for it? And, and of course, especially if money is no objective. What, what, what do you think about that? I think whatever the goal is or whatever you're looking to try and achieve, as a, as a group of people, a collective, whatever that group is, whether it's the organisation, we've got to get behind it and fully believe in it. And I think then then you've got that element of dedication, the obsession. And until unless it's driving you in terms of you're thinking about it day and night, it then it's it's left aside. So a lot of people, you know, particularly New Year resolutions, you know, they they're sort of wishful thinking, but they're not necessarily drivers that the person's going to be living and breathing. And this is where the the motivation dries out, and and you're in a position where you're not living, breathing, dreaming that goal and and working towards it. And I think this is where it's it's got to be something where part of your DNA, part of your blood, you're living and breathing and thinking about it all the time. And then you, what you'll find is that you can make a difference and you can, you can, uh, you can go about that change. I mean, the message I'm getting is, is you'd prefer, tell me if I'm wrong, but you'd prefer somebody to set up an ambitious goal and, 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 and fail well, um, rather than, you know, something that's not particularly challenging and, and always achieve it. Is that fair? Generally, I say to people, you know, we, we would be very pleased if they set themselves a goal and achieve the goal. Most people uh, say something, but they, they, they don't do it. So for me, if they, if they say what, they were, what they're going to do and then do it, that's a big plus. And just, just getting that on its own is, is a big win. So if they commit to something and then they achieve it, uh, you know, you'll be head and shoulders above nine-tenth of people or 90% of people just by saying something and doing it. That's, the, that's the, you know, we need to recognise that. There's a lot of people who say certain things, aspire to something and then don't actually do it. Whether that's targets in terms of timescales, whether that's uh, producing some results, it, it just doesn't get done. And then by setting something which is slightly higher, to drive you even further, that I think that's a. It depends on your drivers. It depends on how you're thinking. It's like for me, it's like saying, you know, setting my clock five minutes earlier, but then realizing the fact that I've set it, and then I discount that, and it doesn't really make a difference. It's really whether you 
you said something to actually really hit it or said something on the basis that it looks good you know, and then if we don't hit it it's not too bad so it depends on how your viewpoint is and your perception is and we all slightly different in terms of how our thinking is but there will be people who will set a goal and try and hit it with both I mean in terms of setting goals and, and uh, for, for individuals and for businesses I know, I know you're a great believer in well I believe you're a great believer in the importance of data in one section of one of the books you talk about about the value of data but also the importance of knowing which numbers to look at and also um, making sure that you interpret the data correctly. What exactly do you mean by that? I think generally a culture of knowing your numbers is, is what we live by as an organisation. Data, I think, is one of the most important currencies there is for any business. And if you're looking to improve something, you've got to start measuring something, you've got to have a barometer or a, or, or something to look at to, to be focused on. There is a saying that we get what we focus on and we've got to focus on something that is tangible, that you can look at, you can measure, and then hopefully you can improve. From a data currency perspective, you know, we use a department in our business called the Management Information System, MIS, which give us what we what we call in our business the single version of the truth. What we find is that sometimes the contract managers and others have a perspective, have a viewpoint, but what we want to do is we want the numbers, the data to do the talking, and that's the single version of the truth, and, and that's how we, we tend to measure things. So, you know, in terms of our contracts and our performance, we get that information from our data team, our MIS team, and whatever the activities are, what whatever the results are, that comes from that source. It's measurable, it's agreed agreed upon, and then that's what we work from. As opposed to getting the individual managers to report on their progress, we work from that, and then we get the narrative from the managers. We want we want everybody in our organisation to be uh, very comfortable with data, be able to interpret data. It's one of our key. Uh, skills and traits that we look for and what we believe is that if you're a manager of of people management manager of resources then you've got to be attuned to being able to read interpret and work with data you take us on to a very interesting point when you talk about the interpretation of data and and one of the dangers I think is that it's very easy to have a set of data uh, and to come to a conclusion as to what that data means and and without perhaps considering all the factors I mean the example that springs to mind a few years ago there was some data that showed that if you were admitted to hospital on a Sunday you were significantly more likely to die than if you were admitted to hospital during the week and there were some people that jumped to the conclusion that that meant that there was an inferior service in hospitals on a Sunday, that it was all junior doctors. And then they dug a little bit deeper and somebody said, well, hang on, people are not normally admitted to hospital on a Sunday and therefore anybody who's taken to hospital on a Sunday is de facto going to be an emergency because they've had an accident or they're seriously ill. But it's just an example of how it's so easy to have a set of data, a set of numbers, uh, and, and interpret them in um, in the wrong way. How do you go about this process of understanding how to interpret the data correctly? 
I think we need to appreciate and realize that a lot of our decisions or conclusions are very much emotional. Uh, we work on on emotion more than what traditionally we would call logic. And even when we've got the facts right in front of us, we would interpret that you know from our own bias, from our own perspective, from our own viewpoint and and our own logic. That's uh, something that we've got to be aware of. We've got to be aware of uh, confirmation bias. We've got to be aware of the fact that we would interpret it differently. Uh, one person would interpret it differently to completely completely somebody else. And I think we've got to realize that we want to be looking at evidence-based decisions, evidence-based and be able to show why we're making those decisions. And, and sometimes you've got to go underneath the data and this is why sometimes you know you've you've heard the saying before damn lies and statistics and you can you can you have a viewpoint and then you look at the data to confirm the viewpoint that you've made and and this is why sometimes stats and data has had a bad reputation because people will spin that data and the numbers to suit their own narrative and their own thinking and we've got to be more conscious and aware of the fact that that's that that happens that happens in you know obviously world politics it happens nationally it happens in organizations as well and that's why we we have teams of people who just look at data and give us the data and we will look at it from a black and white perspective as opposed to uh maybe the manager who will interpret it in a slightly different way so our our theme within our organization is to measure it as what it is as opposed to trying to put a bit of a context towards it and and maybe a, a, a bias towards it i think that's that's the that's the thinking anyway in terms of my from my from my perspective how are you in terms of creating sort of competition within teams i mean there are some organizations and i can think of one in particular that you know there's a group of people that work together as a team but their successes are widely broadcast and Everybody sees how everybody else is doing. So it, it creates within that team um, a hugely competitive environment. I mean, do you think that that, that sort of thing is, is helpful when you set people against each other? Or, or do you think it can be quite damaging and corrosive? I think we can take the negative out of any situation. It depends on a person's view. And what we talk about is, you know, above the line thinking, which is about ownership, accountability, responsibility, be open to change, be open to the information, uh, not necessarily talk about blaming others or having excuses, be own up to certain things. Um, Our view generally is that performance should be encouraged and discussed at a company level. So managers should know how others are performing and they should have confidence in terms of how they've been measured and we should look at improving each other and you know we you know I often use the term the fact that we are not we're a team because we make each other better and part of that is creating competition healthy competition part of that is actually setting standards and keep pushing and driving small improvements regularly and, uh, and and marginal sort of uh, improvements, marginal difference, that one degree difference kind of continuously, constantly, and being open to, to learning. So one of the ex- examples uh, I, can, I can give you is uh, after every manager's meeting, we have a, a ranking 
and we get the ma- other managers to rank each other to say out of so for example we have a managers meeting where there's eight managers and in that we'll ra- we'll get them to rank rank each other in terms of communication in terms of impact and in terms of inspiration so three areas communication inspiration and impact and they each one is ranked out of say eight one being the best and eight being the lowest and 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 then comments so it's 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 tough sometimes to 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 read that so sometimes tough to for somebody to take to take that but then each person is then pushing each other to try and get the best out of each other as well but what happens is that they're more aware of what people are saying more aware of improvements and then constantly looking to improve their key messages inspire others become role models and uh, and make a difference continuously so that's something that we do as an organization it's not for everybody but our organization part of our culture is that the fact that we discuss performance continuously we're transparent in our data transparent in terms of our pnl our profit and loss we're transparent in terms of our numbers our contracts uh, so i have contract performance indicators so red amber green and gold each contract is rated in terms of you know how it's performing is it on target you know is it where it should be uh, what are what are the 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 issues within that contract so each of the managers can actually read each other's contract and that's shared on a monthly basis and that information comes from originally data but then I put my interpretation my view on it and I share that with all with the team as well so constantly in different ways and different guises there is information that's been shared and performance being discussed how do you deal with the d- dilemma of a situation where the team goal and the individual goal might to some degree conflict with each other and I'm going to give you a very simple example of this a football team one of the strikers has been set a target to score 25 goals in a season and he's playing in a game during the season and he needs to reach that target and he's got a position where he can have a shot at goal and he th- there's a there's a chance he might score but there's a there's a teammate who is much better placed if he passes the ball to that teammate there's a pretty decent chance that teammate will score the fact that the, the 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 person has got the target to score twenty five goals a season could could be actually be counterproductive from the team's point of view because maybe he'd be more likely to have a go himself. The team would be more likely to score, but he would not be so likely to reach his target. So there can be conflicts, can't there, between the overall company or team objective and uh, and the individual goal. The first thing is, I mean, it's amazing how um, a team can perform. And what a business can achieve if if nobody's really bothered in terms of who gets the credit. So as long as you're not really that fussed in terms of who gets the credit, and you are a team, and as I said, you know, a, a team where you're helping each other and you make each other better, rather than uh, one-upmanship. I think you know there's a there's a lot there to be uh, to be to be said. If everybody is on the same page in terms of doing it for the right reasons then i think there's no issue where you have got uh, where where you where you have personality clashes or where people are looking for attention or looking for justification in terms of what they're all then there's some then there's issues and that isn't a sign of a high performing team that's a sign of individualism and so, you know we we sometimes need to work in silos but a lot of the time we need to get individuals to work together to help each other 
and to achieve the overall objective for the business. I think that's the key for me in terms of understanding where the business is going, what your own contribution to the business is, and how collectively you, we're going to win. I mean, I think that that's very interesting what you're saying. One of the dangers, do you think, with, with targets is it can encourage people to always go for the low-hanging fruit. For example, if you've you got a sales team and the salesperson has set a target of, I don't know, let's say making 15 sales in a month, if they've got a choice between going for what's potentially a, a, a big money sale and a lot of little penny numbers money sale, if the target that's been set them is the numeric target in terms of number of sales, the the danger surely is that they will, they you know, they'll try and get the 15 easy ones, but not not go for the hard but potentially much more rewarding one. That, that, what do you feel about that? A lot of that is about sustainability. So, what, you know, so short-term thinking, you know, a lot of organisations work on sort of quarterly sales or monthly sales and, and, and when you've got a longer-term perspective, longer-term goals and depends on how you set your key performance indicators, what what are the key key sort of tools that you're mentioning as a business and for us it's it's... It's actually defining what's important, and uh, as you said, you know you could be in a position where you've got monthly targets, monthly sales, and then you could be in a position where those are achieved, but they're not chipping away over the longer term goals. And it's for us, it's for us, it's about having the longer term goal, and then then having smaller milestones to work towards that. That's the key for us in terms of you know overall understanding where you, where the business needs to be, and then bringing that back. So you start with the end in mind, and then you break that into chunks, as opposed to having small chunks that may mean may not be may be meaningless in their own right. When you when you're preparing a target for for staff, um, uh, do do you believe that that's best done? And collectively with the with the people um, themselves being involved in determining the target, so that they have ownership of it, or or do you think that you know you you really sort of the targets come from the top, and it's for the person who's got to deliver them to to do the best they can. A combination of both uh, to 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 a certain level. Uh, in some cases, the targets are defined by the contract itself. You know, you know where the contract needs to be. One of what we've signed up to, you know, what our what we as a as an organisation have agreed to commit ourselves, you know, we you know we're presently working with the Westminster Combined Authority, uh, where we've got a target to recruit say 180 uh, level three digital qualification uh, entrants. That's a target that, that that we've agreed to as a contract. We've got our own performance indicators. Uh, we've got. Um, our own milestones that we've we've agreed to, so that's a company commitment. You know, we've got to put that into a framework for the contract manager to perform, and then work with them in terms of a business plan to ensure the fact that as a company we hit that. If we just went to the manager in terms of or the individuals to see to ask them what they could achieve, that figure may not tally completely with what we as a business need to be achieving. So overall is where do we want to get to what is the objective what we're working towards and then whatever resource whatever effort we need to do to actually hit that that's that's the key and sometimes we're in a position where 
you know, we're having to pick work up where the opportunity is there, but we may have, you know, maybe focus on other things. And, and for us, it's also being able to be flexible in our approach to grasp those opportunities and increase the numbers if we need to or change accordingly if we need to. So being flexible in our approach as well. Otherwise, it's, you know, you've got a path that you're following and, you know, and that's all that matters. And sometimes it doesn't work, you know, as easily as that. I, mean, I remember a, a young a car salesman once saying to his, his boss, um, going into the office and saying, we've had a great month this month, our turnover is X and the... The wizened old boss turning around and saying, look, lad, it ain't turnover that matters, it's leftover. So in terms of the way that, you you know, you've, you've obviously got a financial background, um, you know, you've, you've heard the saying as well as I have, you know, turnover is sanity, profit is vanity and cash is king. I mean, in terms of understanding the numbers that tell whether a company is doing well or badly, would that always be the the, the, the profit number? Yeah, I mean, we, we, I mean, just just to add to that, I mean, the the saying that I've that I tend to sort of often quote is turnover uh, turnover is vanity, profit is sanity, and cash flow is king. But the impact that you do that's the main thing. So it's about the impact, it's about the results, it's about what you achieve. Then after that, hopefully the money will follow. You know, we you know we talk about being a business that makes a difference. If we're making a difference, if we're making an impact, then hopefully everything else will will fall into place. But if you're chasing the money, if you're chasing things for the wrong reason, then it becomes a bit difficult. And I think we you know, when you're looking at where can you make the biggest difference, where you can you can make the biggest impact, uh, play to your strengths as an organisation, build up a reputation where you dominate a sector, dominate a niche where you get known for that particular niche, then hopefully things come into place, come into shape, and work just becomes a lot easier. You're not swimming against the tide, and it just flows a lot better. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I once worked for a business that had a turnover, annual turnover of £50 million, which sounded great until you realised actually they, they were losing almost double that a year. So that's a, a, a very good point. Talking about figures, I mean, when you're looking, preparing a budget for the coming year, do you sort of say, well, 10% of our predicted turnover should go on marketing and 15% on investment in new plant? I mean, is it as simple as that or not? I think your starting point always is about where you are in terms of the current year. That's the starting point. I mean, what we tend to do is have a... Uh, you know, have aspirational targets in terms of w- what we were looking to to achieve. Uh, your starting point is really understanding your present numbers. That's your baseline. You know, you know how much have you spent. You know, you know where. You know, if there's if there are efficiency savings, we're all everybody. Every business looks for efficiency savings, but much more importantly, I think we all look for getting more for less. Care. You know, getting better performance, improving on your performance, getting better results, and we do whatever is necessary. You know, we look at, you know, for example, if we're going to spend X amount of money on marketing, then, you know, what is the return on investment? You know, for us, a pound in marketing or a pound that we're spending, we should be able to quantify that, you know, and we should be able to sort of understand the importance of it as well and, and, and be able to to justify what we're spending uh, wherever possible. And I think for us, you know, our, one of our 
key areas that we're spending more is in IT, digital, looking for efficiency savings there, uh, looking to reduce uh, friction and f- focusing on our customer experience. So for us, you know, our, one of our biggest, bigger areas is the use of technology, use of uh, the digital platforms that we have got. So we're spending more on the customer experience and, and ensuring the fact that we understand our customers a bit more, the data behind that. And you know, that may not have been part of our spend maybe three years ago. I want to finish this broadcast by talking about something which, uh, I mean, which is social entrepreneurship, which I know that you're a great champion of. Well, first of all, just briefly explain to me what you mean by social entrepreneurship. And then how do you put a value on the social benefit that you bring? I mean, can you put a monetary value on, on it? I think for uh, for me anyway, it's so uh, you know, so social entrepreneurship is all about social impact. And it's about the difference, the impact that you're making in a social type business. What that basically means is people related businesses where you're changing, improving people's lives. So the businesses I'm involved with in our health and social care. So domiciliary care organization, uh, education and training organization. Uh, you know, we've done impact analysis where we've worked out that we've got X amount of people into jobs how much money has that saved uh, the government and how much wealth has that created the economy as well. So, you know, these are things that are measurable. We can also talk about, for example, in the health and social care, we've helped somebody in terms of a hospital discharge. How much money has that saved the NHS? You know, if somebody can leave hospital uh, a few days earlier because we can provide a package at home, then there's obviously benefit there to... Uh, UK PLC to the National Health Service. These are measurable things. The government, the civil service uh, does measure all of these things in terms of the impact that he has and look to drive more more performance and impact from these types of businesses. Again, another example is the foster care business we're in. Again, you know, there's a saving if we can actually get a, a foster parent, a foster carer to look after a child as opposed to maybe the individual being looked after in a children's home. So these are quite easy, quantifiable savings that can be demonstrated. Yeah, but I don't I don't think a lot of people understand that, do they? I mean they it's very easy to think in terms of a business, you know, we made X millions of pounds last year because we sold X jet engines or whatever. But um do, do you think there is sufficient understanding of the value of social entrepreneurship to the individuals and to the country? I think people understand if if it's a if it's a if it's a business with a good purpose, you know if they they'll see okay that's a positive business is a you know obviously with the health and social care sector, you know club for carers and so forth people have realised that you know it's we rely on the, these individuals to keep us alive, keep us ticking, and they are the backbone, they are the foundations of of the organisation. The same way with uh, education, teaching, and so forth. These are things that we do rely on. These th- these are things that we do value. Uh, what I would also say is that the uh, government, uh, local authorities, national government realised that there's many things that the private sector, independent companies can do better than the public sector. So 20, 25 years ago, the uh, local authorities started outsourcing uh, social care 
And what they realised at the time, back in you know when I started, when I was working for Sandwell Council, that it was costing them for one hour of care around at that time twenty five to twenty six pound, where they could outsource it, and the total cost, including managing that, would be less than half, you know, around forty forty two percent or thereabouts it was at the time. So that's a um, very clear efficiency saving just by being able to work with a provider but ensuring the same quality, the thresholds are there. And it's about getting the right commissioning, getting the right management of that and playing to people's strengths. And you can drive performance, um, just being open-minded in terms of working with different types of organisations, creating a competitive environment. Competition at the end of the day drives performance, gets the results and it's a win-win for all. Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, we're out of time again, which is unfortunate, but um, now we are at the point at which we could tail our canny conversations with the course. Um, thank you for listening and um, catch up at your convenience. Thanks for listening to this canny conversation with a cause. These conversations are based upon the Canny Bites books by Safraz Ali, available on Amazon. To find out more, go online and visit Saf's website, pathwaygroup.co.uk, or join him on social media. He can be contacted at safraz at pathwaygroup.co.uk. This is a 1386 audio production. Music